Welcome to the EO Podcast, where we amplify and celebrate all forms of employee ownership. Hello, my friends. Thank you for listening. My name is Brett Kiesling, and as it says on my business cards, I'm a passionate advocate for employee ownership. Today, we have a return visit from Steve Storkin, who's the Executive Director of the Employee Ownership Expansion Network, better known as EOX. EOX has been very busy since we last heard from Steve on episode 91 of the podcast. He'll tell us about the seven state centers that have opened this year, plans for 2021 and beyond, the importance and challenges of fundraising, and how he works with EO ambassadors to develop new state centers. Enjoy the episode. Steve, thanks for coming back on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I appreciate everything that you're doing. As I think you're aware, your name has been coming up in a variety of uh, recent podcasts with a variety of different guests. It's a sign of the great work that you and your colleagues are doing. And you're going to spend a little bit of time uh, catching us up to date. You guys, despite a crazy 2020, um, you guys have had a very busy year. Yeah, we have had a busy year, and it's exciting to hear uh, that we are getting uh, our name out there and that people are mentioning us. It, it really makes all the work that we do on a day-to-day basis uh, feel like it's well worth it. I know you know, sometimes uh, in this COVID world, we're all in our house, and we're, we're trying to get things done, and we don't, we don't see each other anymore, and you wonder sometimes if anybody's out there uh, seeing what's happening. But it's, it's really great to hear uh, that people are, are talking about EOX and the progress that we've made because we have, we have worked hard during COVID, uh, and uh, we have made some good progress that I'd love to talk about. Well, it's great, and I believe you're at seven state centers, and a couple of them are staff, so why don't you uh, give us the rundown of where you're at and how's it going? Yeah, you are correct. We, uh, we are now at seven state centers officially opened uh, by EOX since we uh, started this venture in uh, January of 2019 when I was hired as executive director. Um, you know, each one of the state centers is in a different uh, place in their life, uh, when I say open, what I mean by open is that we have uh, formed an organizational, at least an organizational board of directors. We've uh, filed with the state. We are an official corporation. We have, have a bank account. Uh, you know, we have uh, an EIN. We're really ready to do business and begin our mission of education and outreach on the power of employee ownership. So let me just tell you about each of the state centers. We've got North Carolina and Minnesota really the farthest along. They were our first two state centers that we opened. Uh, in North Carolina, Ann Claire Broughton has been doing an amazing job. Uh, she was our first state center. She was my first employee ownership ambassador. Uh, I was a little spoiled uh, in that Ann Claire really provided some great things that I thought we could do across the country and we would open these all up just as fast as we did in North Carolina. Uh, but they're doing great things, and, and I'm happy to announce that uh, they have raised enough money. They've got a board of directors of 10 individuals, including myself. Uh, we have raised enough money to hire uh, the first official executive director uh, for state centers. So starting in a couple of weeks here, we'll have a brand new executive director in North Carolina, and I, and I can't wait to see uh, the progress that they're going to make beyond what they've already done. Uh, one of the greatest accomplishments they've had uh, they've gotten funding from the, the city of Durham uh, to have a partnership with the city of Durham. And, and so things are going wonderful in North Carolina, building a pipeline of businesses. And then in Minnesota, we have, uh, you know, we have a, a board of directors there, a very active advisory committee of service providers. I can't say thank you enough to the service providers who stepped forward in Minnesota. I think we have 25 or 26 service providers in Minnesota 
We're providing technical assistance and financial support for that state center. Sue Crockett, formerly uh, the administrator for the Minnesota Dakotas chapter of the ESOP Association, uh, has stepped in as interim executive director. Uh, and to be honest with you, if Sue wasn't closer to the end of her tenure of working, um, I, I think Sue would be the permanent executive director because she's doing amazing as well, uh, starting to get a network of uh, individuals she's working with, economic development people. Uh, they've done three or four webinars already, three of them with uh, two of them with cities. Uh, who are interested in learning more and telling their businesses in the city about employee ownership. So both North Carolina and Minnesota are doing uh, amazing things, and I'm really, really proud of, of the work that they're doing. That's great. Steve, let me just also, for our listeners, Sue Crockett, you mentioned the chapters that she ran. I think she has had other chapters as well, because I know that I worked with Sue quite a bit, and it would have been, uh, if not the Pennsylvania chapter, then the Ohio, you know, some of the Great Lakes chapters. But Sue for the entire 13 years I've been involved in employee ownership has been a very important administrator. So I'm very glad to hear that she is with you. Yeah, I believe uh, she started the Minnesota chapter 30 years ago uh, and uh, then also took on Pennsylvania and was part of the Great Lakes. So yeah, she's she's uh, well known to a lot of your listeners, I'm sure. Uh, and then, you know, we, we jump into the other state centers. We've got five other ones to talk about, but we've got Tennessee, Georgia, and Florida, uh, all kind of in the same area. Uh, of progress. They are all, they all have active board of directors. Uh, they are all, uh, Tennessee has done a launch event, a webinar, uh, Florida and Georgia. Georgia's done some programming. So they're all really kind of, all three of them are right there uh, at the cusp of, of, of the next step. And, and the next step is that they're trying to raise money. You know, these, these, these state centers need funds to hire an executive director because what we've seen in North Carolina and Minnesota, as soon as you get an executive director of the caliber of Sue and Ann Claire, magical things happen. You start to get programming happen. You start to get a buzz about the state center, and the next thing you know, funding comes along. So it's kind of the chicken before the egg. And that's kind of where we are with Georgia, Tennessee, and Florida. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy and very um, I'm proud of the people or thankful for the people who are helping us, the service providers in all three of those states and a couple of non-service providers uh, who are helping us run those state centers. And, and we're doing our best. Uh, from the national level to give them as much support as we can, uh, not actually having somebody spending day, you know, their daily task working with that state center. And then lastly, we've got Missouri and Texas, our two newest state centers. Uh, both of them have come on board in the last two to three weeks. Uh, they both filed with their state governments for official corporation status. Uh, we're working on bank accounts. We've had our first organizational board meetings with both of them. Again, uh, some great service providers who have stepped forward in those states. Uh, and so that rounds out the seven state centers that we've opened in these first uh, two years. And um, like you said, despite COVID, uh, I remained as active as I could on the phone. It, it was hard to do this without having in-person meetings. I'm an in-person kind of guy. I love to sit across the table and talk to people and, and have meetings, but uh, we were able to do it. And I, I really appreciate everybody who supported us, uh, especially this year to get all of this progress made. Let's talk about Texas for just a moment, because as I think you know, uh, our friend Jennifer Krieger, who's I think been on the podcast eight or ten times at this point, <laughs> she's absolutely wonderful. But she worked; uh, she was instrumental with you in 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 the setting up of the Texas Center. Yeah, you know, the, the one thing that has to happen for a state center to happen is I have to have an ambassador. That's uh, what I call them. I don't know if it's the right term, but the ESOP ambassador, employee ownership ambassador, whether it's worker cooperatives, ESOPs trust, whatever it is, I need at least one person, preferably two, who are passionate about employee ownership. And if I look back to every single state center that we've started, 
Uh, EOX has not necessarily gone to that state and tried to find the people. They've come to us. And Jen uh, is a perfect example of that. I met Jen at a conference. I think it was, yeah, it was at the Vegas conference last year in 2019. We sat uh, and, and had dinner, talked about her passion for employee ownership. And she was the boots on the ground that helped me find other people that might help. Um, you know, the same thing has happened in Missouri. Uh, same thing has happened in Florida. John Burgess in Florida. Uh, Will Stewart uh, both came to me at an NCEO conference, I think. So it, it takes that one person to um, kind of have the passion to for us to come in and help them. Now, down the road, we're going to have to open state centers and find those ambassadors. But right now, we've been really, really fortunate to find seven people across the country, at least seven, who are, are passionate about employee ownership and want and want to do more. I would like to give a little teaser. You and I and Jen Krieger, we're just trying to work out the schedule, but are actually going to do an upcoming podcast where my goal is to have you and Jen talk about the process from your two different roles of how this, the Texas State Center came about. You, what your goals were nationally. Jen, what she was looking for to become an ambassador. Uh, so I'm really excited to be able to show that as a blueprint, perhaps, for perhaps other state centers or other ambassadors. The reality is you and I are busy as, as busy as we always are. Jen's a valuation advisor and expert year end is busy. So I'm hoping right. we'll get to that this quarter, if not first quarter, but really looking forward to having the podcast continue to share the stories of, of not just what you're doing, but how you're doing it. So that'll be very mm -hmm. exciting. Okay. Yeah, that'd be great. It, uh, I think, you know, it is a process and uh, I'd love to hear Jen, you know, from Jen's point of view, why, why she got involved and what she hopes to, you know, to, for this, for what she hopes happens as a result of it. And for people who are listening, Jen literally, and I met her probably a year and a half ago at the DC conference. And first of all, if you're in ESOP world, yes, we really do talk DC conference, Vegas conference. We all know, <laughs> you know where we are. But I met Jen, uh, uh, I think at the DC conference or maybe NCO. And in the fall of last year, she just got the passion for employee ownership and has reached out in a lot of different ways. And so the message, and although I'll celebrate Jen every chance I get, the message is actually, if you're looking and you're trying to find a role, reaching out to you, Stephen, becoming an ambassador in whatever state, uh, you know, is certainly a good way to immerse yourself in, in growing employee ownership. For sure. I'm always looking for employee ownership ambassadors. Um, you know, and I think about the other states that I think the last count, I think I've talked to 13 ambassadors across the country. And, you know, we've opened seven state centers. There's a couple coming in the future we can talk about uh, possibly in the future. But there are other states where we have an ambassador where it just after research, it just at this point, uh, it's probably not going to work to open a state center. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to stay in touch and, and, and keep thinking about that state and the ambassador. Because, as you know, when you have someone passionate about anything, the last thing you want to do is squash that passion. Uh, you really want to be able to connect with it and, and use it. And, and so we're continuing to do that and, and keep those people in the back of our minds. Excellent. And that's probably a good seg segue. Why don't you give us a uh, look at what you're looking for next year, both in terms of the state centers and, and EOX itself? You know, next year for 2021, um, I think it's 2021 is going to be a, a year of, of a little bit of reset. Um, we are, you know, our goal is by 2025, uh, to have 70% of the U.S. population covered by a state center or live in a state that has a state center for employee ownership. With eight state centers prior to EOX coming on board, 
and seven new ones with a total of 15 state centers now. Um, you know, we're not, t- we're not saying we're going to convert, so we're not going to create the 70%, but just to, in, in general, that we could add to it so we could get 70%. You know, we're getting close to that already. And I want to make sure that we don't go too fast. While I have ambassadors in other states, the last thing I want to have happen is just to open state centers to say that they're open to the demise of some of the other state centers. So we're going to, we're going to take a little bit of a breath, at least in the first three to six months and say, let's focus on making sure these state centers, let's get Georgia and Tennessee and Florida who are in stage two, let's get them funded. Let's get programming going. Let's, you know, let's get them to that next level. So I think a lot of 2021 will be spent doing that. I'm hoping to possibly get enough funding at EOX to hire an additional person uh, to help with that state center coordination. Uh, You know, we sit on the board of directors of all the state centers for the three years that we provide funding. Uh, just so that we can make sure that our funding is being used wisely, uh, but more importantly, to provide resources at those board meetings of, of best practices and other things. So, um, you know, I'm looking to maybe add a person to help me with that. You know, in addition, in 2021, you know, we want to make sure that we don't let some of those employee ownership ambassadors off the hook, uh, people that want to help, that we just haven't, you know, taken that next step. And, and probably the first one is in Michigan. Uh, Michigan was one of the very first state centers we, we started to open and for you know unforeseen circumstances, including COVID, we just haven't gotten to where we want to be in Michigan. So I, I think we'll definitely see some activity in Michigan. So one of the first people I met uh, from an employee ownership ambassador standpoint was Amy Hewitt in Connecticut. In Connecticut. Uh, and we worked together uh, for a while trying to see what we could do from a state center standpoint. And that's resurrected itself again. Amy just won't, you know, won't stop. She's a huge employee ownership ambassador, passionate for it. Uh, and I'm excited to be working with her uh, on, on, on some things, uh, some exciting things I think uh, will happen really early in 2021, even if a state center doesn't, you know, get to the point that maybe North Carolina and Minnesota gets to, but there's activity in Connecticut that I'm really excited about. So between Michigan and Connecticut, uh, I think those are a couple places we'll start. Steve, let me let me just tell you, I I adore Amy Hewitt. Amy is just so wonderful. I've met her at a number of conferences. She has been on the podcast maybe three or four times. She is an absolute amazing ambassador for all of employee ownership, let alone what she is trying to do for you. And Proponent just does such a wonderful job uh, as an employee-owned company. And so in the event that Amy's hearing this, there have been like four or five times I wanted to reach out and get her back on the podcast. And now, darn it, I'm going to do it. But uh, uh, the sign of the people that you're working with, Steve, they are talented. You know, Jen Krieger, on the one hand, is a service provider. Amy's an employee owner. But they've all got brains and hard work and real passion for employee ownership. And I'm sure that that's the hallmark of a lot of people you're working with. Yeah. You know, if you think about the employee ownership ambassadors, now that I say that, and I, I think of them in my head, it's so far been all uh, wonderful, strong, um, you know, strong, very passionate uh, women in the employee ownership community. Uh, I don't know where our skies have been, but, you know, you think about Sue Crockett and Claire, Amy, Jen Krieger, uh, Jody Lamb from Big G Express, you know, who's now with the ESUP Association, which you know pulled back, but she was she was the ambassador that she's what caused the Tennessee Center to get up and running. So you know, I think of all of those, um, you know, I think really Florida is the only one that's uh, one of us guys that's jumping forward. So I really appreciate Amy and and the rest of them that have that have helped. David Hinkeby, as you know, is with the Small Business Administration. He's with the Washington Metro Office, and I had a two part 
episode with David just in the last month or so. And first of all, a lot of fascinating things from the SBA. And I certainly blew my mind because there is so much that the SBA is required by law to provide, and we're not asking for it. And I know that EO has had a tough relationship with the SBA. One of the things that David talked about, and I'd like you to comment a little bit, is he thinks that, that, that a great way to grow exponentially, and your name actually came up in the podcast where you talked about this, is to work with state centers, and by the way, not to the exclusion of any of the other organizations, but sure, in this sure. case, as, as you all know. And, and Steve, let me just uh, also point out, on your website, your partner organizations, all of the major ones you partner with, am I right? The ESOP Association, NCO, ESCA, EOF, and uh, I think I saw the uh, Clio, the curriculum library, these are all EOX partners. So we're not, you know, uh, looking one against the other. No, we, we know that um, collaboration, uh, we have a three, you know, we have three goals this year. And, and each year we set our goals like every, every, org, every other organization. And uh, one of the three goals is collaboration. I know, and our, my board knows, uh, this doesn't work without collaboration. And we, we are we are collaborating with everybody and anybody that we can. A couple of the organizations you didn't mention there were, you know, that come from the worker cooperative side, Project Equity, uh, which I'm sure you hear a lot about, the Democracy at Work Institute, uh, the U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives. I mean, we're everybody and anybody that's in this space. Uh, we're all trying to, to, to do great things and, and to promote employee ownership. So, yeah, collaboration is definitely there. And Steve, let me just point out that uh, the two founders of Project Equity have been on the podcast in the past, uh, the Democracy at Work Institute, we've covered a lot of their work. And now I'm not making the point of, oh, they've been on the podcast. What I am saying is we're all running in the same circle. We're all doing the same thing. So just as your name has come up in repeated podcasts, Project Equity is coming up regularly, uh, Democracy at Work Institute, et cetera, et cetera. So there's so many people doing good work. I find myself in a really cool position of getting to talk to all of you. So uh, thanks for, for uh, uh, I took us on a little tangent there. David, getting back to the SBA, as you know, his belief is that state centers can work with the uh, small business development centers that are connected with the SBA. Can you talk a little bit about how you would see moving forward being able to do some of the collaborations with the SBA that David suggests? Yeah, and I did, you know, I heard the first episode with David and it was interesting, you know, it was great to hear uh, that you mentioned EOX. David and I have had lunch a couple times before COVID and uh, he's a great supportive employee ownership and, and, and a great friend in the SBA. And, you know, the more that we, the deeper we get into state centers and the activity that's happening in a state center, the more I'm learning about all of these other organizations. You know, I spent 25 years as an ESOP service provider in the Midwest. And, you know, unfortunately, I, I never heard of Project Equity, Democracy at Work Institute, SBA, how we could get, there just wasn't any of that. And, and I don't know if it's because of my position and where I am now that I'm hearing about it, or if it's just that the two communities are starting to come together. But I think, and I told David this, I think the SBA, the partnership between an SBA and the SBDCs with the state centers is critical to getting our message out and to growing employee ownership. You know, SBA and SBDC offices, we have, as business owners, everybody has a trusted advisor or two, whether that's the CPA, whether it's their banker. But I was amazed at how many people depend on and through their bankers and then through their, their providers or their trusted advisors, um, 
how much they work with the SBA and FBDC offices. And, and maybe it's on the smaller business size that do that, but state centers working with SBDC offices to train them on what employee ownership is, is one of my, one of my components of 2021 that I'm really looking at is, is creating a program or getting funding so that I can create a program that I'm referring to as a train the trainer. And I know that's a cliche word in, in, in my nonprofit world, but to really train people like SBA officers or SBDC officers on what employee ownership is, the power of employee ownership, what they should look for in businesses when they're thinking about employee ownership, just being able to have them to have a tool to be the boots on the ground. You know, a state center typically has one employee to start with, and then we have volunteers. Well, the more volunteers we can have, even if they don't know they're a volunteer, spreading the word of the power of employee ownership, the better off we are. And, And I think that the SBDC offices are critical to that. Secondary to that, I think the more people that we can have at the SBA level that know about employee ownership, the more we're going to have a voice about around the Main Street Employee Ownership Act. I probably butchered that, but the Main Street America Act um, that, you know, from what I'm hearing, isn't funded, is not going the way that it was intended. We were all excited about when it got passed, but maybe it's not being implemented the way it should be. I think the more David Hincapies we can have across the country, I think the easier it's going to be to have that change. Let me, Steve, make two points if I can. The first is on growing employee ownership broadly and everything that you just talked about, the relationships, the education, the knowledge. It's just another extension of when we say we have to find the selling shareholders and educate them. You know, we're we're just broadening um, the people that we are talking to. But I do want to make a point to those who are listening who are the professional advisors and, uh, you know, the same ones who might be talking about being your ambassadorship. And David, by the way, made this point on the podcast. If someone professional advisor is working with you through the state center, working with their state center, and they're bringing in the SBA and the SBDCs for general employee ownership education. Now, when the SBDCs and the SBAs aren't necessarily at your webinar or whatever it is, but they're off doing their thing, and someone says, hey, do you know anything about employee ownership? They're going to make the referral contact to the professional advisor that they're working with. And David makes this point, and he doesn't hide it. He's friends with an ESOP lawyer. Every time somebody wants to do and talk ESOP, David talks to him a little bit and then sends them to the lawyer. So I just want to make the somewhat crass commercial uh, acknowledgement that this very much is solid business development, practice development that I believe you got to put your work in. But if you put your work in, you're going to become that go-to person for employee ownership in your state or your city. Does that make sense? I would agree. Yeah, it's it's a win-win situation because on the other hand, uh, if you're uh, an employee ownership service provider, a practitioner, uh, and you're looking for, um, you know, your client is looking for some sort of funding or assistance from the SBA, having that relationship rather than just being a guy off the street, you know how it is, you know, you, you got, you have your, your local car guy uh, that you've got, you brought in business to three or four times. You, you, you looked upon a little different than the guy off the street. And so I, I think that relationship is something that I think we can, I think the state centers can have a lot to do with that, but I think outside the state centers, that's a relationship that if I was still practicing, the more I know about that, if I was still in the third party administration banking industry, I'd definitely be connecting with my SBA office or even my SBDC office. 
And it would be so easy, Steve, and I did this a lot as a trustee, to bring in the third-party administrator, bring in the, the, the ESOP or EO lawyer, valuation advisor, and trustee, and the SBA, and do it for a variety of people. And the other thing, and, I, <laughs> and then we'll move on, I don't want this to be an SBA thing, you did mention, and we've always mentioned, the SBA is on the small side. They finance up to $5 million dollars. What I didn't realize, never thought about until David pointed out is, now they're willing to guarantee up to $5 million regardless of the transaction. So now you could, and it's still not going to be super big, but you could sure. easily see a $10 or $15 million transaction where the SBA piece of it is, is, is a third to 50%. So part of my goal is just to point out that the SBA uh, has more if we figure out the right way to to utilize it. Correct. And if we figure out the right way to uh, have guarantees and all the other things that people say, you know, that's why I'm not in the SBA office. And, and that's what the Main Street Act can do. So I think we're getting there. Uh, and again, the more people, the more connection we can have between the EO community and the SBA, the better off we can be. Steve, let's take the conversation in a different direction. You have plans for 2021. You have plans beyond 2021. But you're also at the point where that's not going to happen without funding and you can't do as much as you can do without funding as an ongoing part of your mission. So talk to me a little bit about fundraising efforts or financing opportunities for EOX and the state centers to be specific. Sure. So, you know, it's an interesting move from the from the private sector as an ESOP practitioner to a, to a nonprofit world that I had never been part of before. Um, but, you know, nobody, everybody wants to see that their dollars are going to be used wisely. And, and you know, I'm no different than that. You're no different than that. When we give to a charity, and, and, and I like to use the word nonprofit more than charity, uh, but when we contribute to a nonprofit organization, um, in my past, I was always looking at what, what good have they done? Uh, what I didn't realize is that nonprofits have to start at some point. And, and nobody wants to be the first one to do that. They want to make sure that their money is being put to good use. And so what we're, do, what we're in the process of doing now is we're trying to get state centers to the point where we do have some metrics. You know, we can look at the Pennsylvania Center, which is our model, and Kevin's done an amazing job. Kevin McPhillips have done an amazing job. And I can point to Pennsylvania. I can point to Ohio. I can point to Vermont and Indiana. And I can talk about all of the great things that are happening. But until I get metrics you know, foundations across the country are not really willing to open their doors to us at this point. Uh, we're working with them and working hard to change their mind and to get funding that way. Um, state governments, city and local governments, you know, COVID hasn't helped, but, you know, they want to see metrics as well. So we're in this mode of this is a privately funded invent adventure or venture. Um, and the people that are closest to the ground are the ones that we're depending on. Uh, and that's the service providers, the employee-owned companies, the selling shareholders, people who are passionate about employee ownership. That's where we are in Georgia, Tennessee, and Florida. You know, we've been working hard to produce, you know, to raise money. And I won't give which state center, but we've been working very hard. And, you know, over an 18-month period, we've, we've raised, uh, I think, $12,000 in one of those state centers, even though we've put the work in to do that. Well, with, an, with a budget of 100 and you know, a full-time employee, 125,000 for a state center or, or a part-time somewhere around 60 or 70, you know, there's a gap there. 
And so I'm trying to get metrics to show people their money will be put to good use, but at the same time, you need people to do that. So we definitely are in a fundraising mode. Uh, we're looking for support from anybody who's interested in growing employee ownership. Um, and, and that's kind of the mode that we're in. And I, you know, I've got all sorts of ideas around that, uh, grand plans for that, but that, that's definitely a, a focus in 2021. I wish EOX could find a national funder. I wish we could find a foundation that would take a, a leap of faith on us and look at what the state centers have done across the country and, and make a really, really large grant because imagine what we could do if we could, if we could fund those state centers from EOX's standpoint. Now, right now we're trying to fund as much as we can. We fund $75,000 over a three year period is our commitment right now. If I could make that a, you know, 150 or $250,000 commitment for every state center, I can tell you Florida and Tennessee and Georgia would have executive directors. So that's kind of where we're at. When you're considering fundraising and budgetary needs, that sort of thing, have you come up with a sense of where you think the money could or, or preferably will come from? Have you given any thought to that? We have. You know, we, we started with this concept that, that, um, that you mentioned, the PA CEO. We really followed that model that there were some, you know, some people who wanted the PA CEO to, PA CEO to happen. A couple of selling shareholders had the idea. Uh, they helped fund it. The NCEO helped fund it. Um, but the service providers really were the catalyst to get that thing going and, and to get, uh, you know, to get an executive director hired and, and away we went uh, or away they went. Um, and we're trying to follow that model. And so we came out of the gate um, thinking that uh, service providers and employee-owned companies, if we could get a three-year commitment from them, um, you know, and somewhere between the $2,500 and $5,000 per year, uh, more to, you know, more would be helpful. But that kind of commitment over a three-year period, so maybe a, a $10,000, $20,000 commitment, um, you know, you start adding up the numbers, 10, 15 of those service providers, you're, you're going to provide that budget. So that, that's really what we're focusing on. Uh, now in each of the state centers, um, typically these, you know, these service providers and employee-owned companies, uh, which, you know, we're looking for usually 500 to a thousand dollars from them. You know, they're, they're located in that state. They, they do want to take pride in their state. They want to grow employee ownership in their state. And it's the service providers and employee-owned companies and selling shareholders who, yes, it is a return on investment. You do want to be at the table when someone's talking about employee ownership, but more than anything, it's giving back to a community that's given you probably a really good career over the, the, the years, your employees, you know, it's, 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 it's both philanthropy and maybe a little bit of return on investment. Um, and so tr trying to get that message across that this is not advertising dollars. This is not a return on your investment. hundred percent. This is about giving back to a community. You know, I was sitting around thinking the other day about this three year, this three year commitment. And, and I thought, um, you know, I was thinking about service providers and, let me just give you a, a thought that I had. Um, you know, there was about 1,900 people who attended the last NCEO conference uh, in 2019. And let's just say a, a third of them, um, well, not even a third, let's just say 500 of them were service providers or at that meeting. And I know we've got more, but let's just take the number 500. If we had 500 service providers across the country who took one transaction this year. And by the way, I'm hearing that service providers are busier than ever. Uh, I talked to a service provider the other day who said, uh, and not the last, only not the first one, who said this quarter has been the busiest quarter they've ever had in their history of their career. Uh, let's give, so let's just say we had 500 service providers each providing $5,000 one year, just one year commitment. That's $2.5 million. Uh, ESOP company, let's say we take half of the ESOP companies that are out there roughly if we use the number 6,000, let's take 3,000. 
ESOP companies, and they each give $500 to a state center initiative. Uh, that's $1.5 million. And then each year, the NCEO reports about 200, 250 uh, new ESOPs are created. What if we had 50 selling shareholders who gave uh, $10,000 from the proceeds of their sale to an ESOP? Uh, you know, that's 500000 We would have $4.5 million that has been given to EOX and or state centers to start the state center movement. If we had 10, 12 state centers to split that money up, we could... We could fund state centers, 10 to 12 state centers for a three-year period. We wouldn't even need a three-year commitment. So, you know, I know this is pie in the sky and, and you know, I can hear the word, the, the song Imagine in the background, but it's, it's a movement that we can make happen. And think of what we could do if we were able to fund that many state centers and get the word out about power, the power of employee ownership. Think of what the states would do. Think of what the foundations would do. We, we always try to get this as, you know, we always want it to be mainstream. I don't know if employee ownership will ever be mainstream, but boy, we could go a long way with just the one year. If we just all stopped one year and said, let's make this happen. Um, you know, again, a dream of mine, uh, but boy, it would be great if we could do that. It's a very worthy dream indeed. And uh, Boy, nobody would be happier with mainstream than than me. Um, if nothing else, I'd have a lot more to talk about. Steve, this <laughs> has been great. Before we wrap up, as you probably know, in the last couple of months on the podcast, I've been collecting people's EO aha moments. And I started a couple of months ago with mine at an ESOP meeting when I was the CEO and, and a team member said something that just made me go, wow, this is different. We probably did cover it on your original episode, but is there a moment or two in all of your career with employee ownership related to it where you heard about it, you liked it, maybe you didn't quite get it? Was there a moment where you were like, aha, holy moly, this is different? You know, I, I can think of an aha moment later in my career that I'd love to share. But the, the first aha moment, you know, I, my job was I, I was a third party administrator. And so we were the ones uh, creating participant statements and seeing account balances. And I think like just like an ESOP participant, when I started to, to grow my business and, and have more clients and customers, I think the uh, one of the aha moments is I started to see account balances and I would do that year to year. Uh, I was also the one that was, you know, part of my practice was to go out and hand out participant statements and describe them and, and explain what a beginning balance was, what a dividend was, you know, to have that. And so I would see the same people over and over again. So it wasn't necessarily an aha moment from that standpoint. It was a little bit of a over time. And I think I finally, I probably had an aha moment when I saw one account balance of someone. I, I think the, the the moment that I will never forget is that I put an ESOP in place uh, in 1996 I'll put it in place in 1996. It's a manufacturing company in Minnesota. Uh, in 2016 or 2017, uh, their share price had reached an uh, astronomical uh, number. They had had great successes in 100% S-Corp ESOP, and they sold the company to uh, a friendly competitor in the Boston area, uh, and they're continuing to operate just fine, and it's a great story. But I'll never forget standing in front of that. Uh, you know, I stood in front of those manufacturing employees, many of whom were from uh, Cambodia, from a Hmong pop, you know, Hmong community. And each year, those balances would get bigger, and their smiles would get bigger. But to actually, I didn't get to hand them the checks, but I got to hand them that final statement. 
And when you're, when you're, when you're handing people like that six figure and even one person, seven figure dollar amounts and asking them what they want to do with that check and trying to be as much of a financial planner as possible. It was an amazing moment to watch it from day one to, to year 21 and to see many of them stick around and, and have four or five, $600,000 account balances. Those are life-changing numbers. And I will never forget that. I share that story all the time. And it, it's not the only time it's happened to me. It's, it's, um, it's, it's, just, it's a life-changing opportunity that we, it'd be so easy to do for so many other people across the country. Imagine what we could do. There I go back saying imagine, but imagine what this country would look like if we had more of those companies. Um, yeah, it's a, a long aha moment. Sorry for that, but it's, uh, I, I just love to tell that story. Now, Steve, that's actually perfect, and it's a beautiful story because here's something that sometimes we forget. That's why we're doing this. That's that exactly why we're doing it. What employee ownership is people retiring? So much more goes into it, but at the end of the day, particularly ESOPs, qualified retirement plan, as you know. So by metrics, someone retiring, I've gotten a little goosebumpy here. That is an absolutely wonderful story. And the fact that you mentioned a bunch of people who came to this country or their, their you know, parents or grandparents did in search of the American dream, and they found it with employee ownership. I love that. They did. And, you know, just one last point to that, um, you know, in the, in the nonprofit world, uh, right now, it is it is the buzzword is is to to fund uh, you know to help communities of color to help um, women business owners just you know I, I don't want to use the word minority that's that's not the right word but to to help people uh, that may not have been helped in the past and and I think unfortunately some people have gotten the impression that an ESOP specifically they think about the selling shareholder you know they think about the millions of dollars that they're taking off of the table. Uh, that the you know goes into their pocket. I tell that story because we forget about the demographics, regardless of who that employee, who that selling shareholder was, whether he was a 65-year-old uh, gentleman from Pennsylvania or whether he was she was a 40-year-old from Minnesota. The demographics of who becomes an employee owner is what we need to look at. You look at the floor of that manufacturing plant and the people, like you said, whose parents came over here searching or grandparents searching the American dream. If we dug deep and did a study on employee owners and the demographics of the employee owners, I think people might change their opinion if they do have a slightly not so positive opinion on, on how these operate. Uh, we're changing lives and lives that other people are trying to change in different ways. So I think employee ownership has a, has a place at the table uh, and should be talked a lot about a lot more. And just a final point, we're also providing the means for people to change their own lives. You know, Correct. you and I will do what we do, but once there's a trend, you know, once there's an employee-owned company, as much as we love to talk about the culture and we bop in, they're going day-to-day -day and doing their jobs and Correct. getting all of these great, you know, results on top of that. So you and I are on the same page. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's an amazing thing. All right, Steve, thank you so much. I am looking forward to uh, hopefully recording with you and Jen Krieger before too long about Texas. I would like to share, if you don't mind, you and I spoke a couple of weeks ago setting this up. And as you kind of went through everything that was going on, your mind at the moment was all the kind of weeds and challenges and stuff you're looking at. And I really want to say on behalf of the employee ownership community, 
not that I have the right, but on behalf of the ownership community, you, I hope, will pause over the Thanksgiving and, 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 and Christmas holidays and take some satisfaction in what you and those working with you have done. Because I suspect in employee ownership, like many other areas, 10, 15 years when we are looking back, the seeds that you are planting this year are going to bear fruit and, and end up having a huge effect. So thank you. And when you're starting to get a little bit tired, keep the faith, dude, because you are doing great work. Hey, I appreciate that. And you're right. You know, you do get in the weeds a little bit and you forget that uh, you are doing a good thing. You can think about it, but I appreciate it when, when people give me that feedback. And, and it makes me think of something that I didn't mention. I have an incredible board of directors who had this idea. This started in the NCEO as a task force with Lauren Rogers. It started with my chairman, Cecil Ersprung. But, you know, my board members, Jim Steiker from SES, uh, Ken Baker from New Age, Daniel Goldstein from Foliance, and uh, Neil Brosen. Uh, from Ventura ESOP Services. I mean, those guys working with them, they have the dream. Uh, I'm just uh, implementing it. So I, I would be remiss if I didn't include them in, in all the great work that's happening well. So, but we appreciate your support and, and, and thanks for having us on. I really do appreciate it. And Steve, with that, let me just say that as a reminder, episode 91, you did a great job of talking about the origin of EOX, the uh, connection with NCO. And initially, I believe you spoke at length about uh, modeling after PACEO. So in terms of your board, the work that you're doing for our listeners, great time to circle back to www.esoppodcast.com for episode 91. Yes, I'm doing a commercial now, Steve, uh, <laughs> where they can circle back to episode 91 or wherever they get their podcasts. And you're also one of those ones that uh, you've popped up in a number of them uh, where we're talking about the work of VOX. So Steve, any time at all that you and EOX or one of your state centers is doing something that we can help spread the word, just know that we are, uh, we are here and really happy to help you in any way that we can. Okay. Thank you, Brett. All right. Thank you. We'd love to hear from you. To contact us, find us on Facebook at Kesop LLC and on Twitter at Aesop Podcast. To reach Brett with one T, email brett at kesop.com, on LinkedIn at Brett Kiesling, and most actively on Twitter at EO underscore Brett. Again, that's one T. This podcast has been produced by the Kesop Group. Technical assistance provided by Third Circle Inc. and Bitsy Plus Design. Original music composed by Max Kiesling. Archival podcast material edited and produced by Brian Kiesling. And I'm Bitsy McCann.